open up your books, you bad apples. Uh, I got a kind of a fun opening for this week. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Ready? Yep. Uh, no, wait. Oh, it sucks. It's awful. It's the worst opening of all time. Oh, man. Come on. No, I've talked it up too much. Oh, I'm freaking out, Cole. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to do it. I mean, I'm not going to do it, but... Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club. I'm Lucas Nord. And I'm Cole Lang. And Cole, before we even get into loosening our belts up and popping them moccasins off for, you know, we're doing a discussion episode today. We're going to be talking about our four-part series on I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. And we aren't even going to be talking about the book. We're actually going to be talking about our podcast series on it so cole what was do you think in your personal opinion your um you know your downfall through the series what was your worst part out of all four because that's what we're here to talk about and my cat is wrapped up in my headphones cory right now (laughs) um i'm just kidding (laughs) um how's it going today cole not too bad just got off a 12 hour shift but baby the podcast must go on. So we are <laughs> nothing here. Like a good, nothing like a good 12-hour shift, man. That's uh, what I've said since day one. Yeah, man. When I got out of high school, I said, no eight-hour shifts. Nope. I want I want the 12-hour shifts. So. And is there any chance I can get those seven days a week, baby? Yeah. No days off. I want nope. to uh, work for the man. Well, yeah. see, I recently realized that... I thought about this, you know, people hate Mondays because typically it's the day that you got to go back to work after maybe a couple days of pretending you don't have a job. But if you keep people working seven days a week, then you don't have that Monday slump. And it's like, uh, well, without any free time, you know, you won't realize how awful it is to have to sell your life to the man for 40 hours a week. But every day would be like Monday as well, I'd imagine. Uh, Well, I mean, that's just, that's something that we're just going to have to get over. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So how are you doing over there? Oh, I'm all right. Just kind of, you know, hanging out. Not up to much. People listening to this may hear the cat three feet away from the microphone freaking out with the, (laughs) uh, the mouse toy. You know, that's all there really is to say. Um... I'm excited to talk about this book that we covered, though, because, as we said in our, well, probably all four of the parts, it's a very enlightening read, and I love doing these relaxed episodes because I just like to relax, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yep, no schedules, it's just, you know, this is me and Lucas at our, at our relaxed level, and we are just spitting spitting back and forth you know you never know what's gonna happen when you put two of us in a in a podcast room you never do know we don't have we don't have one of those pesky outlines that i need to follow along with or um well i guess that's really the only only thing that i have that isn't the recording 
Sapphire. Yeah, so this is basically the the Bad Apple Book Club Unleashed. So uh, yeah, right. And um, unplugged. Yep. Acoustic. Yep. yep uh, this is <laughs> this is a that was a David Bowie song. A little little Nirvana joke there. Um, okay. <laughs> when I said unplugged, I thought of Nirvana, but for no actual reason. So what are you specifically referring to? I just heard, I don't know if I heard about a Kurt Cobain set that he did. Strictly acoustic or something, but like I said, when I said unplugged, Nirvana immediately came to mind. Oh yeah, very famous performance and Nirvana. Uh, well, Kurt Cobain did a cover of uh, The Man Who Sold the World, uh, and there's an acoustic version. And nice. at the end, he just, he says, that was a David Bowie song. Is it really a David Bowie song? Yeah, 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 it huh. is. So Okay. Uh, so, I hope you guys listened to the series, enjoyed it. Um, maybe Me even too. read the book. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, yeah. Very Reading eye-opening. Reading is good for you. Yeah, yeah. Positively I mean, eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of the best things about this book is... You know, I like To Kill a Mockingbird. That's a good song. Uh, good, good song. Uh, <laughs> kind of a long uh, one. You know, Eminem did a really good job with that one. And, oh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm sure most of our listeners ha- are familiar with that book. But uh, that is fiction. This is a first-person account. And, uh, you know, it deals with racism here and there. And... Mostly personal growth, which is actually my like favorite theme of the book. It so, there's just a lot of moments in this book where I was like, "This is, this is awesome!" Like, uh, what better book to, you know, relay the story of personal growth than, obviously, you know, an autobiography or memoir. I still don't know the difference between the two of them, but um. It is really nice because I have been thinking about Maya Angelou a lot lately. Just because, you know, compared to Raskolnikov or Alex or, you know, R.P. McMurphy, they're all, what we learn is that they're all realistic ideas where the author met someone that they based the character off of because they acted the exact same or for whatever reason, but with this one, we're actually let into someone's very personal world. And so, once again, you love to see the uh, story of self-empowerment or whatever just written out on the page in general, but when it's completely true to life, it's uh, all the more exciting, I would say. Yeah, very much, very much so. You know, it's... It's a crazy life. It's full of uh, hardships and trauma. And, you know, if I had to write my own autobiography, it would be, you know, it wouldn't be nearly as interesting as this. I lived a pretty, pretty normal life uh, growing up, I like to think. Nothing, nothing, uh, nothing that can be compared to this book. So, right. Um, as far as like themes go, did you have like any favorite themes in this book or anything that really resonated with you? I think if there's one thing, it's what we 
keep going back to, and it is that, you know, in the first um, first part of the book, our first series, she's just a, whatever, destitute child thrown on the train into the deep end of life with a tag around her wrist that said, you know, bring me to stamps. Maybe it was literally a stamp that they just hung around her wrist or something, because they pretty much sent those two kids away like they were luggage. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we don't get too much of a feel. It's just the beginning of the book. She's still very young. And even though the book gets so much worse after that, it seems like starting with our third and fourth parts, uh, the theme came back a lot more where... It starts with her just realizing that, you know, there's nothing wrong with how she looks or anything like that. And from the small levels of self-acceptance like that up to her feeling strong enough to work her way into being the first black lady to operate one of those trolley cars and stuff like that. And literally making history on top of also just... Um, writing out a lot of personal triumphs that we also saw through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it uh, starts off slow and like, you know, there's so many aspects where she just grows, whether it be being comfortable in her own skin, because in the beginning she does not want to be a black uh, female, she wants to be white, and she slowly adapts and accepts her community and becomes proud of it, especially after the, uh, you know, the school board, the white school board member came in and was like, yeah, you guys are basically not getting any uh, more new funding for the schools and everyone's just disappointed. But how everyone came together after that was uh, pretty sweet. And yes. as far as like just seeing her become more self-confident for me like i think the part of the book that will resonate with me the most is i don't know why but when she started driving the manual car that was uh the first time i really felt like she defeated her past demons uh she you know became independent and fully believed in herself and she you know, it's probably hard to hard to drive uh, on those roads. You know, it was at night. It was probably really scary for her. And uh, on top of that, it was a man. It, it was a manual car. So uh, the fact that she did it with a little hiccup. You know, she ran into a car along the way. Uh, yeah, but, that'll happen. But, but yeah, she did it. She really did it. And from there on out, you just see her. You know, it's uh, it's like Breaking Bad, where Walter White finally turns into this monster. Well, Maya Angelou, she didn't turn into a monster. Well, she, see, uh, that's funny. I was going to make the same exact comparison. Maya Angelou and Walter White are one and the same. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, both played by Brian Cranston. Okay, now, see... You're always dropping some crazy knowledge on me because, you know, you're the one that does the research between the two of us that we put in, uh, in our first parts of everything. But that one I did not know. Yeah. Wow. Played by Brian Cranston, <laughs> of all people. What, can, what, what can't he do? Could you imagine if he uh, made a Maya Angelou biopic? 
I uh, am now. Yeah, that's uh, um, that's kind of a fun fun image. Going back to the start of your spiel there, though, it is kind of it's nice that even though the story is so unrelatable for both of us, because you know. For one, I can't remember when it started. I remember specific parts taking place before World War II, so I guess, what, starts in the 1920s or something like that? Early or late 20s? Yeah, for most of her upbringing in Stamps, it's in the dirty 30s. Mm, The Great Depression. So, yeah, um, I think that's actually, while we can't relate with any of that stuff, it is cool that you'll still walk away from this book with a nice gold nugget of relation with something like that you know what i mean even though it may seem so um well just commonplace in general everyone's driving these days it's cool that you can still walk away from it with a specific appreciation for that chapter and that is kind of uh interesting to think about to her overcoming the odds i guess you could say because yeah for one those roads and for two it wasn't even an automatic so good yeah. job, Maya. Le- learning manual. It's uh, it's it's definitely frustrating the first few attempts, and but after that, it's not too bad. But yeah, yeah. but I I really feel like after that, that's when she, you know, we don't here here on the Bad Apple Book Club, we don't like violence. But after that, she went back to Dolores. She slapped her, you know. Kind of a badass scene, but we don't we don't agree with the violence. Um, no, but Dolores, she kind of she kind of asked for it. She's kind of you know she's Dolores, and uh, yeah, from there on out, that's when she you know decided I can't go back home. I'm gonna become homeless, which is just another huge like holy crap. Uh, right. that, that's a huge move. Like, and, and after that, she just, you know, coerces a boy into having sex, and get, like you said, becomes the first female uh, tram operator in San Francisco. So right after that, it's just like the the winning can't stop. You know, the craziest part of all of that to me is that it all happened in the same day. That's what I thought was so crazy. Drives up from Mexico, gets impregnated with a baby, and then drives a trolley car. That was an eventful (laughs) day for her. Yeah. Because just like Catcher in the Rye, this whole story takes place over, like, three days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, just a heck of a life, you know? Yes. uh, Was that the book we covered before this one, the no, we covered something before, or be- we covered something after Catcher in the Rye, didn't we? What was your What was your book again? Oh, Charlie and the Chocolate Charlie Factory. And the cho- who could how forget could it? For- yeah, how could we forget? Wow. Sorry, Charlie. Well, <laughs> there's a little behind the curtains insight. I don't yep. even know if we have curtains we could talk about, but if, if anyone was interested, we've been switching I... back and forth between who picks the book every one of these so you know uh that should i don't know if that'd be obvious based on who's reading it off but you know there's a lot of things we talk about and there are a few people listening and uh they probably don't know about a whole lot of that crap so back to the book would you say that that story with her driving the car in mexico is like 
your favorite chapter or was there one that potentially took the cake for you? Because I know that I have one. Um, yeah, I would say so. Like as far as I know when I'm really liking a book and I, I just can't put it down and that whole chapter uh, was just really fun for me. And I mean, there was obviously a lot of highlights of this book, but I mean, that was yes. definitely my favorite. What uh, what did you have in mind for yours? My favorite chapter by a mile was in part three in that really nice stretch of, like I said, then the stories were each like specifically different from each other where they all kind of seemed like a series of little vignettes or whatever, and uh, mine would have to be during the night of the tornado when the scary, owl-faced man came and talked about his dead wife. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty... And, that was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, the guy showing up and talking about having his wife sit next to his... Uh, you know, nightstand and tell him that she wished that they had kids and Maya talks about how the old lady was half deaf so she just screamed all the time Ugh. hoping to, you know, hoping people would return that in kind because Maya said half the reason was that it's because she couldn't hear herself and the other half is she was hoping people would scream back at her so she could actually hear them but the imagery and stuff is just so spooky she specifically talks about how you know at the funeral seeing her in the casket you know she's down there the lifeless husk it used to have hopes and dreams and ambitions and all that crap and here it is in this wooden box and it's gonna go under the dirt and no one will ever see it again um but she also specifically talks about how you know uh, along with the whole creepy theme of the entire chapter, she talks about how she pictures hearing that, like, screechy voice, uh, how it just gave her chills in general, but the idea of it coming from the graveyard was uh, even more terrifying. And like I said, that was just such a standout chapter, for one, because it's an autobiography, so there's not a whole lot of room for scary stories, but... I'm glad mm. just that she fit that one in there, and the whole thing just kind of gave me shivers. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, that that's uh, something she does very well, and something I can really appreciate because all of those little snippets of life in the South was to paint a picture of all Absolutely. the experience she, experiences she had, and uh, just. On top of all of the obvious things that we look back on the past with and think, oh, that's pretty weird that they didn't have, you know, no Wi-Fi. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's a lot of things that you don't think about looking back on it, whether it's just small details or, you know, historical facts that you wouldn't have thought to look up unless you were reading them through the scope of someone who was right there living them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and the way she can, uh, especially with, like, the racism that she, like, secondhandly experiences and firsthand, um, like, a lot of this stuff involves Bailey, who, it just seems like, left and right, he's seeing all these horrific acts 
uh, happening, like lynchings and bodies being pulled out of the water. Yep. And it's just like, yeah, sure, I knew about that. Um, but to have a firsthand account, like, describe these things and for it to be like, oh, just another day to some of these people that are living in town is, yep. I, I think that's even more horrifying than the acts themselves is that it got normalized. Or with something like, I believe it was part one when Mama is being berated by the young children. But she just stands there humming and doesn't pay him any attention and all that kind of stuff. The idea of a child, like, bullying an adult is also just so strange. But once again, normalized for the times, I suppose, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, just talking about that stuff and the setting and how she's able to communicate it through her poetic words and everything it's uh you know just this episode i'm just like gosh uh that was a good book like i just you know it just kind of blew me out of the water with some of that stuff like uh, very nice yeah i'm very thankful i read it i'm definitely gonna try to read more of her stuff i i really like a lot of her short poems like like i said uh still i rise probably the only poem that I can really word for word like uh, remember not not the whole thing but certain snippets uh, yeah it's just a great poem and uh, I, I guess who uh, who were some of your favorite characters of this and uh, why, why would you choose them as your favorites I think that Top of the list, the first person that came to my mind when you asked was Mama. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she's got such a strong image painted over through this whole thing. This self-made woman, only black lady with the store and stamps, or however that worked. Very well respected by all the people there and all that stuff. And unfortunately, her religion is a little too steadfast in her because she definitely beats the crap out of those kids for... Well, if we'll remember, I believe it was part three, both Bailey and Maya got a swatting for Maya saying, by the way, which is the Whoa, same as saying, by Luke, God. Luke, I'm uh, going to have yeah, to kind of fly over there and, uh, you know, teach and you a lesson. beat me with a switch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's so crazy that that also was normalized, you know, people beating the crap out of their kids to discipline them. And I don't even know that... Well, that clearly wasn't anything to be disciplined about in the first place either, but um, otherwise, we're just given a very stern and strong image of this woman, like I said. So even though she's got her faults, um, Mama seemed like a pretty cool character, I think. How about you? Um, It's a really minor character, but I really liked Daddy Clydell. Okay. I've been thinking about Daddy Clydell. Um, yeah, I I mean, I, Bailey I like as well, but um, if, I guess I always like to um, choose like or point out like these minor supporting characters that really make a big impact. And right, uh, Daddy Clydell, you know, he's kind of a badass, and at the same time, he takes pride in 
you know, for people mistakenly calling Maya his daughter, he's like, hell yeah. Like, I mean, it's not my daughter, but I'm glad you, uh, yeah, she's smart. Um, and I think he really like builds up his confidence or her confidence as well. Um, and you know, just is able to provide, which, you know, we've talked about, we got kind of mixed feelings on her actual dad, Papa, Papa Bailey, Bailey Sr. Big Bailey. Yeah, I think I, I think Bailey Sr. is more self-centered and just more concerned about his uh, personal image than he is about his kids, which is never the, the right thing. So As we will remember in part four, when Maya got into the spat with Dolores and ended up with a shiv in the ribs or whatever the hell happened to her daddy. No, not daddy Clydell. Big Bailey ended up taking her to a friend's house who sutured the wound because, well, if he, you know, brought Maya to a hospital and the doctors asked how she got stabbed, it would not look very good for Big mm-hmm. Bailey to hear that. If word got out that his uh, stupid daughter and his, you know, girlfriend that's 30 years younger than him got into a fight that would just be embarrassing yeah could he would have been canceled by the community yeah for sure yeah isn't it kind of interesting too if i may get off onto a bit of a tangent here but we talked about um bailey jr following in the footsteps of the men he saw with his mother wearing like the fancy suits and all that stuff having kind of an edible thing even though he didn't understand it, and uh, she must not have either. But in trying to follow in those footsteps, it's kind of interesting to think also that um, I think they said Dolores was 19 or something like that. Yeah. If you'll recall. I don't know if I will. Yeah, I think she was, yeah, 19 or 20, I believe. Kind of interesting to think how she was also old enough to be a daughter to him and you know she was only a few years off from maya too so i can't help but think that there's another parental overarching theme too with his daughter or with his uh girlfriend dolores also kind of being like a daughter girlfriend i don't know you know she has so much jealousy for maya Mm -hmm. that you can't help but think that even though she turned out to be kind of a bad egg she was probably trying to seek approval in a similar way style as bailey jr which is you know pretty gross to think about but i think uh like i said i feel like i i sense a specific theme there yeah yeah i mean when it comes to maya and bailey they're uh they kind of mirror some of the issues like maya she had the traumatic event that happened in st louis with mr freeman but yep. then Bailey, he has the event that happens in the tent with the somewhat older girl, like four or five years older, that coerces yep. him into sex. Um, but yeah, Very I mean, interesting. that that was another interesting too. Interesting thing too was uh, just Bailey's transition. Like at first, he's. You know, a very lovable character, just a small, dainty kid that uh, cares for his sister. And then in the, as the book progresses, he kind of becomes isolated from his sister and or isolates himself. And, yep. uh, but I mean, stuff Struggles happens. Struggles on his own, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
stuff happens with siblings. They grow apart, get closer. Um, thankfully, that was the case with me and my brother. We got closer after high school, and we're oh, like, you, you're you not say, too thankfully bad. Thankfully, you grew apart. No, <laughs> well, I mean, in distance, yes, but. Uh, um, um. Oh, that is true. But going back to it, I I wanted to say that I've specifically been thinking about Daddy Clydell because I think that that's just such a funny name, Daddy Clydell. Yeah, got a good ring to it too. It's it's pretty fun. Yeah, Daddy um, Clydell. So I'd say yeah, him and him and Bailey were pretty good, and uh, Bailey, you know, he has his flaws, especially towards the end. But I mean, he's yep. probably going through some internal crises that uh many teenagers go through uh that comes along with growing up i mean uh, some of his actions definitely mirror like stuff that uh oh, what's his name in catcher in the ride <laughs> um jd salinger no captain no. america no matt the... salinger are you telling me that you're forgetting holding caulfield's holding, name right now yes uh, oh man um it's it's past my bedtime but like i said i do it for the podcast um and yeah i mean the same characteristics are being mirrored with bailey like struggling with growing up and all these other factors that just come with uh well just growing up in a tough situation i think it's fair to say growing up in the dirty 30s in the racist south is uh Pretty tough, and uh, and once they again, both do it. going back to it, on top of being brought up, you know, black in the South in the dirty thirties, they've also, like everyone else, but as we get a fine scope into Maya's personal struggles, you know, everyone's also going through that crap every day normally. So all that like um, technically political stuff or whatever on top of it just clearly would not make things better but yeah all that stuff like i said going on on top of we kind of see well bailey clearly has a intense infatuation with his mother which makes sense but even to the point where once again i think it was in part three when he turned up late from the movies because a woman in the movies looked exactly like his mother so he stayed for the second showing and then didn't end up you know, back at the store until very late and stuff like that. So we kind of see one of his bigger struggles personally being, you know, related to his mother and stuff like that. But we clearly don't get the whole scope. Yeah. Yeah, it's a strange relationship, to say the least. I I guess... I should say also, well, I got so many favorite characters in this, but I mean, Maya is obvious. I mean, that's an obvious one. Um, right. Main character. Mama, she's pretty good as well. And What about Uncle Willie? I was just going to say, Uncle Willie, he has like he has some like really small snippets that are actually pretty fun. Uh, like when the owl-faced man comes in and he's like talking, he's like, I don't know, man, it's kind of creepy outside. I don't really want you here. Uh, yep. I thought that was kind of funny, but the dude just stands try. there for a minute. And then uh, Willie's like, ah, all right, come on in. And mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, lots of solid 
well, I, I guess I shouldn't even say characters. I should say real life people. But right. uh, as far as the book goes, yeah, there's just a lot of strong female characters in this that oh, really yeah. stand out and uh, male characters as well. But I mean, for the most part, well, there's the main bad guy in this is a guy and uh, nobody's a fan of him because he sucks um, yep. <laughs> so, um yeah i mean i pretty much hit all the topics i want to cover is there any like uh final thoughts you have or anything uh you want to talk about well see that's my one specific thing is i enjoyed this book as well but obviously we keep talking about well specifically i keep talking about how it's based on real life so the story can't be written in a nice linear way but i was really bummed out when she left stamps and mama and uncle willie because i found that area and setting and those characters to be so interesting so when maya is you know, torn away in real life, I myself felt a little bit empty. And then they did end up going back, but that was only after Maya's awful trip to St. Louis. And it's just not the same then, you know? Yeah, I agree. Like, the setting of stamps, the people of it, as unfortunate as it is, that, 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 I mean, that's... American history like I mean that's uh when you think about the dirty 30s I mean I'm just thinking of like a Ken Burns documentary that's black and white and you know Maya she could probably like perfectly narrate some of that stuff I I feel like it's a bad part of our history but it is Americana that uh is just painted so well by Maya Angelou and uh, when they left stamps as terrible of a place that it was, the racism and terrible events that happened there, um, yeah, she just had such a solid foundation, which was Mama and L- Uncle Willie, you know, <laughs> Uncle Willie was there too, but Mama oh, definitely yeah. was there with the most. Good book. Um, yeah. I would definitely read some more of her stuff, for sure. Um, just a crazy life, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend this book to anybody. This paints a good picture of uh, racism, individual experiences with it, uh, and at the same time, like, personal growth, which... Yep. Um, you know, is always, it's, uh, you take somebody that's like really not confident and now she's just, you know, an icon and it's really cool. It's an underdog story. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for a final rating, I'll give this, oh boy. Um, let's see here. Nine, nine. 9.9 out of 10. Deducting 0.1 because I wish this story 
didn't stop with a cliffhanger. <laughs> it does. Yep, yep. Uh, she has the baby, and uh, well, I'll just have to get the next book. So right. Yep. I suppose otherwise, though, if you're listening to this, thanks. Why? Just kidding. <laughs> um, we have an Instagram account. It's the name of the podcast. The Bad Apple Book Club, all one word. Occasional posts. We will be back next week with part one of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Ooh, yeah. And uh, have you started that one? How, how far are you into Frankenstein up to this point? I'm about a quarter of the way into it. So Very nice. That will be progress. a fun one to cover, like every other book. As I will say until we don't make the podcast anymore, uh, I'm getting a lot different of an experience than I expected. Of the book, Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot more. There's a lot more to Frankenst- or Frankenstein's monster than you think, guys. Hollywood completely slaughtered the character. I just watched uh. the... <laughs> well, I watched the original movie, and let's just say uh, I have some thoughts. Uh, the the I, 1930-something movie. I believe it was just 1930. Um, I look forward to watching it after I am all done with the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for the series. So make sure to catch us next week. Next yep. week we'll be there. We'll Please be. Please come back. Yeah, we're we're doing scary stuff. Uh, and Frankenstein's oh, yeah. just a it's a fun story. Um, so yeah, without further ado, um, thank you for listening and have a good week. Peace out. Trouble with that podcast, you call me. Of course. You know. Oh yeah. I can always do nothing with it. <laughs>